to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality in geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by repeat guest, Tanya DePass. Welcome, Tanya. Hey, Aline. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. So, dear listeners, I don't typically do the who are you thing with repeat guests, but I will put a link to Tanya's previous episode in the show notes so you can go check that out if you haven't heard it already. Uh, so Tanya, you've been busy. Just a bit, just, just a little bit. (laughs) So we are recording this on Thursday, December 17th. And just a few days ago, you were in San Jose, California at Gamer X. How was that? It was pretty amazing because, um, despite being on like all the panels and on staff, that was the first year I'd gone. I know. I, uh, I'm i so jealous that I didn't get to go this year. I had Matt on previously. And then I think that was just before you got involved with um, with helping them. So will you talk about what you did for GamerX this year? So I was the diversity liaison. I mean, I'm still the diversity liaison going forward. But for, for GX3 it was specifically so they did not wind up with a bunch of panels that basically were... You know, instead of a bunch of straight white dudes, a bunch of cis white dudes, um, cis white gay dudes on all the panels and not really reflecting the diversity that's in their mission statement. So um, it wasn't a solo effort. Um, Kayla from programming and I did a lot of review of the panels and the talks to make sure that we we gave as much diversity to the panels, no matter the subject matter, and not just stuck all the brown people on the one or two diversity panels mm-hmm. A lot of conventions do, if they have any diversity panels at all. Um, and then I really kind of um, brought home the the idea that if you want more of this, you have to submit panels. Mm-hmm. Um, because while, yes, we did better, and GX has always had a diverse attendee base, we did get some feedback that, you know, there were still a bunch of panels and talks with just one cis white dude, assuming cis white dude. And, you know, we we own up to that. But again, we can only work with what we have. So I really tried to push for attendees to think about panels, especially like just coming off the energized high of being at three days of, of fellow gamers and being around a bunch of people. You can be truly yourself. So to think about the subjects that you would have liked to see panels on or things that I saw a panel on this, but I've got this take on it. And maybe there's an issue that will co- that I would view differently because I'm a person of color, you know, and or I've got other ish- intersections of my identity that may not have been addressed by this panel. So I really tried to encourage that both in opening and closing ceremonies. That sounds like such a huge undertaking. The all of it like <laughs> starting with just kind of stepping in and and trying to make sure panels were as diverse as you could make it like I can't even imagine what an undertaking that might have been how how did you do that like you know hopefully Matt and Tony will not yell at me but there were, there was just a lot of kind of okay these are the panels we've looked at who's on the panel um are there other people that could bring a new perspective that we know were coming that would want to be on. And we didn't just like assign people to panels. We reached out and thought, Hey, this person could be good. Let's say on the streaming panel or, um, no, the diversity 
um, panel, the other diversity panel that I was on that I did not propose because it was going to be a bunch of, of, of white people. <laughs> so it's like, um, this isn't okay. This is something that needs another voice, another direction. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a lot of back and forth. It was a lot of wrangling. It was a lot of, you know, up to the last minute, 11th hour. Hey, this person realized they could show up and we think they'd be great on this panel. Do you mind adding them on? We know it's last minute. And most people were really cool with it. That's that's really cool. Um, and and how I know you're just off of this, so you might not even have an answer at this point. So do you have a plan yet for um, for continuing to increase diversity, the diversity of panels and um, panelists going forward? Or is that still something that you're working on? I don't know if there's a plan per se, but one thing I'd like to do and, you know, and this is a, a tricky situation because. Asking people to identify is always hard. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, you can't assume something off um, an internet profile, especially if someone doesn't have a photo. And even then you can't go, oh, look at this person. They're obviously blah. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to make assumptions. You don't want to be that person. Um, and you also have to realize that just because someone is a marginalized identity other than LGBT doesn't mean that they will want to be on those panels. Um, because maybe they've been burned out. They've been to all these other conventions where they wanted being that one brown queer person on all these panels at whatever convention they've just gone to. Um, so, you know, what I'd love to do is kind of have a, a pool of of people who go, here's my expertise. Here are things I want to talk about. Not even expertise. That's a bad way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are things I'm interested in. If there are panels on, let's say, streaming or gaming journalism this is something i want to do right or is my profession i'd love to talk about it we can go so person who submitted this panel you realize this is all white dudes why don't you consider having a bit more um intersectionality on your panel and then reach out and go you know hey we think you'd be a great fit consider adding this person to your panel because then we actually meet our mission um Failing that, I would like to ask people to identify on on their panelist submission, not so much the when they register, because not everyone going is going to be on a panel. Right. Um, and just make it incredibly clear that this is just for the purpose of making sure we have a good mix of people on the panel. That gets a little dicey. Oh, it does. It totally yeah. does. And, yeah. and I'm very aware of that as I say it. Yeah. Is that in an ideal world... <laughs> We could go, you know, what identifying information are you comfortable with? You know, and I think being upfront and explaining why, but that doesn't guarantee that people are going to do it. I mean, there are people who still hadn't filled out their profile on the Sketch website and they were speaking. So, um, you know, getting people to check a box on their on their panel proposal could be another, you know, back and forth or something that just could be a pipe dream for now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting, um, not an interesting problem, but it is a problem with several interesting potential, not even solutions, but I don't know, like steps towards a solution, maybe. Yeah, um, because, you know, I I was really happy to see a a bunch of people of color at the convention. Um, It still was a high count of, you know, assumingly based off looks you know, cis, white, queer folks. But there's still more brown people than I've seen a lot of conventions I've been to. Um, 
But I mean, it's dicey. No matter how you go, someone will be unhappy with mm-hmm. the way you go about things. Um, you know, it, it's really hard work to put together a convention. Um, you talk to Matt and Tony and, and I've had Matt and Tony on the show and I, I think it depends on where people are coming from because sometimes I think people don't realize the steps that go into it. It's not just simple as, Hey, I'm going to just gonna call my friend and go be on this panel. It's, you also want the best content for what people are traveling there for and paying for. Yeah. Well, good luck. Um, let me know if I can help you out. Um, I was going to say, you know, I think, th- correct me if I'm wrong, if you remember, but I think this is the first year where it's really been, um, I don't know, kind of rebranded as GX rather than GamerX. And and the focus, I mean, I know they've always had the focus of inclusivity, like games are for everybody, um, but it was, it was more toward kind of the LGBT, side of things and less, mm-hmm. um, you know, like racial diversity and trans diversity and that kind of thing. Um, so hopefully as people, more people hear about it, we'll get more people of different colors who want to participate. Yeah, I think, I think you're correct. This is the first year was called GX versus GameRx. And that was, you know, to be more inclusive and to let people know it's not just like four gay dudes. Right. Um, you know, and there are a lot of people who were there, a lot of allies who came or people who were there for panels, um, you know, like our friend Ken Gagney, who was there, um, that are not in the LGBTQA alphabet soup, um, but they're either as panelists or supporters, um, or people that just, you know, like, they love gaming and they don't care that it's an LGBT conference. Yeah. Um, but you, but you know, it's difficult because one of the things is, um, in a lot of spaces, you know, I can't really hide the fact that I'm a person of color, nor would I want to, but we know that people will label you based on that thing. And it's like, well, you're, you're a cis woman, you're, you're brown. And, you know, depending on how I relate to the person, they'll know my orientation. And I can't sometimes exist in those gaming spaces peacefully, but then Mm -hmm. have three days where we're all together i mean that and you know knowing that you know even there are no straight cis folks around it's not like i feel going into like a game store or something where it's like we're all you know we're all we're all there to just enjoy gaming Mm -hmm. that was um it was fun being kind of a spectator and um you know, from, from Phoenix, from very afar, um, you know, but like our friends, um, our mutual friend, Nick, um, Mm -hmm. he was like, this is usually when I leave conferences, I'm ready to go home. And this is the first time I've ever been sad to leave a conference. And, um, I know Nick really well. Like I, I go to conferences with him. I think I've been to like four conferences and conventions with him this year. Um, so like, I, I know how, how he is and for him to be like, yeah, like this was amazing. I wanted to stay a week, uh, was such an amazing endorsement to me <laughs> that, you know, he was just like, it was, these were my people. I was comfortable. Um, it was fun. And I thought that was, that was really cool to hear. Yeah. It was just amazing. 
So something that you, a word that you have mentioned or a word you have said several times um, is intersectionality. Mm -hmm. Um, Will you talk a little bit about what that is? Okay, so the simplest way I can think to to explain it slash describe it is think of a eight spoke wheel. And, and, you know, just for sake of argument, you have various things that make up who you are. You know, for me, it is I'm a cis woman, I'm black, I'm bisexual, I'm, I enjoy video games, I enjoy writing. These are all facets that come together to create the person I am. There's, and they meet at the intersection. Um, you know, I, I don't go out one day and I have on my, my black woman hat that day and I don't go out the next day going, well, you know, today I'm just very much bisexual. These are all parts of me. <laughs> I'm feeling very bisexual today. <laughs> well, you know, I could put on pink, purple, and blue and just, you know, That's be like, true. Hey, this I'm, is true. I'm just really feeling bi today. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it, these are all the facets that make up the person. And, you know, intersectionality is understanding that when I come at something, I'm not looking at it as simply a woman, simply a black woman. Not simply a queer black woman, but all of those things influence how I interact with the world and how people should be interacting with me because it's not enough to go, oh, that was terribly racist, but then turn around and tell a gay joke, you know? Yeah. And I I actually met someone who just got out of a master's program who had never heard the word intersectionality and it kind of worried me. Honestly, I hadn't heard about it and I hadn't heard the word itself until earlier this year. Really? It was. Yeah. Yeah. The word itself, I had not heard. The concept was something I was very much aware of. But having having a word for this, well, you know, there you were nothing. You were nothing less than the sum of your parts. And this, the the parts that make up your personality and your being are. Um, are different than, you know, what, what I am comprised of. And um, like, and then intersectional uh, feminism, which is like, you know, feminism should represent not just equality for cis, white, straight women, but it should be, you know, really all people being equal. Um, those were concepts I had, but they weren't, I didn't have the word for it. And when I actually may have heard it, uh, like maybe from you, um, so like you, you may have been, I don't know. Um, but it was, it was someone in, um, in a Slack group that we're a part of, I think. And I was like, oh, finally I have a word for this. Um, but then I find that most people don't know what the word is, what, what intersectionality means. So it's, Yeah. Yeah. So then I have to explain it. Um, But by doing that, more people learn what it means. And then eventually we won't have to explain it anymore. We can hope. We can hope. Yeah. (laughs) And so one of the things that um, you actually sent me an article earlier um, Mm -hmm. that was on um, TechCrunch posted a couple days ago and the link will be in the show notes and it's called Dear White People, You Suck at Diversity. And I read it and I nodded my head a whole bunch because it's something that I have noticed about the tech industry lately um, that right now feminism and and making things better for women is a very popular topic, mm-hmm. but um, kind of the the unspoken part of that is that it's um, for white women and yep. it's it's not 
universal. Um, yeah. So do you want to talk about that article a little bit? Sure. Um, because I, I've not been shy about talking or speaking on how a lot of initiatives, especially like quote unquote diversity is always aimed toward, um, you know, getting more women involved and you always see a bunch of white women. You never really see Latino women, Asian women, um, black women in these initiatives or like articles talking about these initiatives. You'll get like a variety of white women, but that's not the be all end all of diversifying the technical field. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have a STEM degree. Um, you know, there's Black Girls Code. There's so many other initiatives that exist, and we don't really hear about them except within, like, Twitter spaces, other spaces where, you know, like, POC are already congregating to have these conversations. And they're not getting the funding. They're not getting these other things because there are so many people that are in the tech field that just get overlooked. And it's like, oh, well, we didn't think that Black people like things like this, which mm-hmm. is crap. Um I mean, our, our friend Sharif Jackson is an advocate for some diversity. Um, there's all, there's a push toward equality, but the message is very clear. Equality comes only when you're packaged a certain way. And they're leaving all these people out of the conversation. A lot of people are getting fed up um, because it also sends a message that this world is not for me. I have gone to college. I've done all these things, but it's still never enough. And, and and it's it's both discouraging to me because I exist too. If I was working in a specifically tech field and I always saw these initiatives with just a bunch of like smiling, petite white women, it was in the message like, we care about certain diversity, mm-hmm. just not your kind of diversity. And and the flip side of that is a lot of people want to have these conversations about diversity, want to lead these initiatives and these charges. However, and I know people will probably get angry and I apologize in advance. Um, the conversation I will have about diversity is going to be very different than the conversation you have about diversity. And a lot of the conversations happening in the tech field and the gaming field are leaving out the very people it's meant to affect and to better. Um, because doing something on Black History Month or Women's History Month once a year and having that one person be your, look, we hired a woman, aren't we awesome, we're diverse, mm-hmm. is not enough. It is insufficient and it really is a slap in the face to not look at the pro- whole problem of it starts at at grade school. You know, we're not encouraged to stay in math and science and engineering and other hard sciences we're not encouraged to do these things. And, you know, you know, up until a couple weeks ago, I would still hear people go, oh, well, you know, engineering is not, not for girls or not for women. When a majority of the people in those programs are not just women, but women that have come from other countries. And they're, they're left out. You know, they're, they're not the front face of these initiatives when it needs to be everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um it's fascinating to me. So I'm more in the general tech sphere than in the gaming sphere. Um, you know, when I started Less Than or Equal, I was lucky because Brianna Wu was like, "Yes, I will be your guest." And so a lot of people who knew her in in gaming kind of followed. And so as the show started, it was kind of more gaming centric. Um, but really, my interests are more more broad than that. 
And so one of the podcasts I listens I listens to one of the podcasts <laughs> I listen to frequently, well every week, is called ATP. It's the Accidental Tech Podcast. It's very kind of Apple Universe centric. And um, I've listened to it since it started years ago at this point. And um, every once in a while, the the three male hosts will talk about um, women and tech issues. And I'm really appreciative to that, um, to them for that. And I've told them um, over and over again, like, thank you for bringing these up, because a lot of men just, yeah, it's a problem, but I'm not going to talk about it. Um, but... It's really interesting to look at their mentions on Twitter after they've had these after they've had these discussions, because invariably what happens is they will get people saying, well, women are not interested in technology and you need to stop talking about this because women are never going to be interested. And um, and it's like, no, <laughs> that, that is factually incorrect. There is that's not true. Um and it's the same. It's the same for um, for other marginalized groups. Um, you know, I hear, like you said, I hear people of color are not interested in tech, um, and it's it's ridiculous. It's it, I don't understand why people think like like are are we missing? Are, are people in marginalized groups? Do they think we're missing like parts of our brains? that make it like impossible for us to be interested in these things? Do you think there's actually a physical structural difference? Why would we not be interested? And it's all about, it's all about mentorship and encouragement um, at early ages. And then, you know, we hear about the pipeline problem, you Mm -hmm. know, there aren't people entering the pipeline to hire for jobs later on. Well, that's, I mean, there aren't as many, but we're also kind of, once they get get their degrees or show interest in a degree, they're not getting the support they need. And then if they even make it that far, they enter the workforce and they're bullied out or they're driven out because of micro microaggressions or what I call background radiation, because it's like this constant low level toxicity that they face. And then we have the straight cisgendered white guys saying, well, they must have left because they weren't interested. Yeah, but but we can't talk about the pipeline, you know, that that's failing people in high school and college and grade school without also looking at the very, very um, problematic issue of the school to prison pipeline. Let's talk about that. Um, You know, black children, Latino children, minority children will get higher penalties for things that white kids don't get anything done to them for. Or, you know, they just don't have the opportunities. And that's not like, oh, you're playing the race card. It's like, no, there are stats to back right. this up. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of areas just don't have the same resources. They don't have the same. Um, trying to think of a good way to put this. A lot of times, you know, there's no programs for music or art or theater. Um, or there simply isn't the technology to support someone until they maybe get to college. And by then you're so far behind. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you get arrested in high school as a young black male, assuming you survive the encounter with the police, um, you know, you're going to get more time than a white counterpart. So you've already got this mark on you before you've even set foot in college, applied to a college, got out of high school in a lot of cases 
And, you know, people also go, well, just don't be a thug. Don't be this. Don't be that. But there's... It doesn't matter. Oh, I know. I mean, you and I know this because we've been outside, read books. (laughs) Pay attention. (laughs) Yes. We we watch the news, painful as it is. Um, But there's the whole systemic racism and things that have been against people of color for so long Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you've heard of unconscious bias. I've heard of unconscious bias. But it's ingrained so deeply... Many people don't realize it, thus it's called unconscious bias. Right. Um, like, for instance, I was out with um, Brian, who's uh, one of the volunteer coordinators for, for GX. Went out, he got, I don't even remember what he got, but it it, it was like pink and, and fruity and it looked, it looked delicious. But I ordered a beer. Guess who got my beer? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of gender roles, in terms of race, there's... So many things so deeply ingrained that it's going to take a lot of work to unravel that. And as we get more people realizing this before they have kids, as they're raising children, as they go through jobs and school, hopefully the culture can shift. But it's going to take a lot of work to do. Yeah. And 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 the steps to getting there are extremely painful because the f- one of the first things you have to realize is your understanding that unconscious bias is a thing that exists. It's it comes with the realization that you're less in control of who you are than you thought you were. That like these the things that you do that you're not aware of, mm-hmm. that you're not aware you're doing them are as a result of of like these ingrained beliefs you have. You know, like women don't drink beer, men don't drink fruity drinks, like, you know, right. you know, and I'm one of the like, I, I like my alcohol to taste like Kool-Aid, whatever. But, um, but, you know, the, that, that is, that is a, an ingrained belief somehow. And it's like, where does, where does that come from? And, and doing like that deconstruction of like every little, every little thing you think you know, before you can even realize that it's a bias, it's like, oh, well, where does that come from? And what else is attached to that? And um, there's there's like a, a crisis, a little mental crisis, or at least it was for me. And I'm sure it will be again as I realize something else or I'm told something else. But um, that's really uncomfortable. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. And a lot of people how they deal with that discomfort is kind of, you know, shows where the growth can be because mm-hmm. some people take that discomfort and they immediately leap into, oh, my God, you called me a racist. Mm-hmm. I'm not a racist. And it's like, no, I didn't actually call you a racist. I said the thing you just did or said was a racist action. Um, but that's one of the things that people are more afraid of being thought of as a racist than actually doing something that is motivated by unconscious bias and yeah. thus a racist action. Yeah. Um, or there's people that go, oh, you know what? You're right. Let me stop and ponder this. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's in, I mean, there's so many moving parts to this. It's, you know, how we deal with it, how we internalize it and then work through it. Because I think a lot of us deal with this, you know, from our teen years because we're influenced by, by friends and family Hopefully we get out in the world and meet other people and you're not just in a homogenous um, environment. So you don't have that challenge. And so you're out in the world and you go to work and you're like, oh, 
I just totally offended my new coworker. And no one has really had to make you sit down and have that moment until then. And by then it's too, like, it's hard to undo that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I will get off the soapbox. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> and it's scary. Oh, definitely. It's super, super scary. So one thing I I try to do is I try to make sure that less than or equal itself is intersectional, that I have people from all sorts of backgrounds and experiences and identities um, who come on the show. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. So sometimes I struggle with what, not sometimes, all the time, I struggle with what could I be doing better? Like what else, what else do I need to do? And I guess... I guess the reason I'm saying this is just like a general acknowledgement that um, I feel like there's always something more people can do. So like, yeah, you're supporting women in tech. So why not take that like a half a step further and support um, the LGBTQ community in tech and then take it a step further in, you know, LGBTQ community plus people of color in tech and just, I mean, I guess there's always more you can do. So like, don't, don't become complacent. Yeah. And, you know, and don't, but also don't beat yourself up if, yeah. you know, cause no one person can solve all these issues. No one person can be that intersectionality uh, messiah as it were. Um, because I think it's good to realize your biases and work through them. And that is very slow, very careful work. Anyone who, you know, decides, oh, my God, I realize I have privilege and goes from zero to 100 becomes one of those people I wrote about (laughs) on being a suddenly woke white person. And then you become an advocate in all the wrong ways and you actually turn people away from it because to me, that's like someone who becomes a zealot for, you know, religion, whatever cause it is, and actually pushes people away rather than draws them in. Yeah. Yep. Step one is becoming aware. Step two is not driving people away with your awareness. Yes. So don't don't go from zero to one hundred once you once you become aware. Yeah. Um. And and I think also the other trap I see people falling in is getting really really offended. Like, oh, I see you're speaking on a, a women in tech issue because that's the thing I can speak to. You know, I can't speak for for people of color or non cisgender people, but I can speak to the women women in tech problem. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like I've noticed that you're saying this thing and it's problematic, and people get really really defensive. Um, like. Don't do that. If someone from the group you're trying to help tells you that you're being problematic in some way, it's your job to listen to them. Um, And I can give specific examples of of like me trying to listen to um, friends in the trans community when I've I've like equated body parts to gender and they're like, no, you need to stop doing that. And I do it again. And they're like, no, you need to stop doing that. And, you know, just like um, women go to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Well, no, people with certain anatomy go to Planned Parenthood. And that's something that my trans friends have like had to beat into my head to get me to change the way I say those types of things. Because I'm like, oh, well, you know what I mean. And they're like, right. But that's not what you said. Right. And and, and it's part of the conditioning. I mean, right. it's really part of the conditioning. Um, because I I still have to catch myself with pronouns sometimes. 
especially if someone's preferred pronoun is they or them. But that that internal bias sometimes still trips me up. And, you know, I'm not proud of it. I'm working on it. But, you know, that's a failing that I have. I also have that English teachers beating into my head that you never use they or them for the singular blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like I had that all through high school and college. Yeah. And so that's been hard for me to break, even though that's factually incorrect. Um, and it was even at the time. Um, I still I still struggle with that. Um, and I still do a lot of apologizing for that. Yeah. So the third thing I wanted to talk to you about today was I need diverse games. Um, and for those who haven't yet listened to the previous episode, will you do just like a brief recap of, of what I need diverse games is? Okay. Um, so I need diverse games started as a hashtag over a year ago at this point, and it's grown up into its own little community. Um, so now there's a Facebook, a Tumblr, another blog that's trying to be more like a article slash journal kind of place to be, um, Twitter, of course, which is where the hashtag started. And we are trying to be a community resource and a hub, and we actually um, are now part of the GDC scholarship program. This is year one of us doing it. And we've got a Patreon, we've got other things where our goal is to serve the community and those that are marginalized within gaming to either, you know, like help them out with conference attendance or, you know, be a resource, support things like AlterConf or... Um, you know, be there as support, as information, as someone who is is bringing diversity to light. And, you know, we're there. We're still learning. There is a there is a group of us moderating and we're we're doing all we can to help diversify the industry, not just on screen, but off. So let's go back to GDC. Um, what is GDC? So GDC is the Game Developer Conference. It is the professional con for game developers of all stripes. It's usually video games at GDC. I don't know if there's tabletop. Um, most tabletop stuff is usually at Gen Con, which is um, in another city, city and state. Um, but GDC is March 14th through 18th at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. So we applied and they said, here, you do good work. Here's 25 passes. Go administer them as you wish. Um, so we just closed applications on Monday evening and we are in the process of reviewing 130 applications for 25 passes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that's that's not the worst problem to have. No. And, and <laughs> um, you know, there's a there's a team of people on the review committee and that info is actually at idiversegames.net. Um, so apps are closed, but the review committee information is there. We're, we're trying to, to base it on kind of like, what is it you're going to get out of GDC? And then how will you go out and further the mission once you've had this experience? So can I ask what kinds of applications you've been getting, like just in general, is it all game developers and, and want to be game developers or um, do you? Um, no, we're getting a good mix. We're getting people who want to write, who want to do art. Um, we've got quite a few podcasters. We've got some journalists. So there, there's a broad spectrum of people who applied in the past. We've actually got quite a few international applications. Neat. Yeah. So. Good luck with that. Thank you. 
so what are your what are your plans for I Need Diverse Games going forward? I know that um, that you're always thinking about it. Is there anything that you can um, talk about that you're you have coming up? Um, well, the podcast and doing more writing because um, I don't know who may or may not be aware of this, but unfortunately I lost my day job after getting back from GameWax. So now I've got all this time to put into I Need Diverse Games. Um, we're looking at doing a 5013C designation because that would make it a lot easier to then go out to companies and go, hey, we're we're an org. You know, we would love sponsorship. We'd love to collaborate with you because especially bigger companies, we're, we're aware of the fact that, you know, for them, there has to be an incentive such as a tax write-off or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Intel is really committed to diversity, EA and, and other companies are. So we'd like to be able to go, look, we're an org. This is something you can write off. We have the same mission and end goal. Um, so what is it we can do to work together? Um, I'd really love to be in a position to give people scholarships, like also, you know, travel scholarships, not just the passes. Um, but right now I'm kind of focusing on doing a lot more writing and games critiques of so streaming. Um, so I'm actually finally getting around to streaming Tomb Raider, the new one. And, you know, and having a bit of critique as we discuss, maybe even going back with older games like Bioshock Infinite, things like that, that have a lot of meat to them and have been critiqued a lot. But it's not something we've tackled. And, mm-hmm. and um, Kaylin Ellis has offered their services to help us with articles and editing things that come in. So always soliciting people who want to write something for us. Um, one of the gentlemen I was talking to at GX um, doesn't really do his own blogging. So he's going to write up his experience for our blog. Um, and mostly just a lot of writing, a lot of reading and podcasting. Nice. Yeah. And trying to fundraise as well. Yeah, I think so. Speaking as somebody who got a scholarship to a conference in San Francisco, but it was only for the event. um, Having a travel stipend would have helped immensely um, because it's it's I mean, it's expensive to fly in, it's expensive to to stay it's expensive to buy food if especially if the convention doesn't provide lunch or or anything and um i can see that being a a huge help to getting a a more diverse demographic in there yeah so the plan right now is to do an indiegogo for for travel stipend because we kind of want to see how it shakes out among the finalists to see what people need because i know in a dream world i love to do a thousand dollars per person Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm going to base the, the final total on what we try to fundraise based on the needs of the, of those that get the scholarship of those that get the all access pass. That's a really interesting idea. Um, a good idea. Indiegogos are so hard, but I, I think you can do it. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because, you know, it's, I know Trying to do anything right now is not going to have a good result because it's about to be the holidays. Yeah, people don't have money right now. Well, they don't have money or it's just, you know, you get so many asks at this time of year, both from charities, from family, from friends. You know, even if I put one together, it's not going to go out until we made final decisions because right now no one's going to have spare money or and they may get donation fatigue. Yeah. Yep. So. So, yeah. So before I let you go. 
let's talk about podcasting. Um, okay. This is something that I've talked with. Um, I think it just, just Khalif at this point in time on the show, but um, since you recently started a podcast, I thought it would be uh, kind of cool to ask you uh, what you've learned and what kind of advice you would give to people because you've, you've been podcasting for three or four months now. Um, actually about seven. Is it really? Yeah, I think so. No, this makes six months. December makes six months. Holy schmoly, this half of the year went by really fast. Okay, well, <laughs> so you've been podcasting for about six months. So um, what, kind, what kind of advice do you have for people? Um, first, don't be afraid to do it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Because um, I've been on other podcasting panels now. A lot of people go, but but what if what I have to say isn't important? And there's like 20 other podcasts talking about this other thing. Yes, but they're not talking about it from your perspective. So first and foremost, don't talk yourself out of even starting a podcast. Um, secondly, don't go whole hog on really expensive equipment until you know that you really want to dedicate yourself and put the time into it. Um, so I've seen people go out and get like ridiculous, you know, $400 mics and mm -hmm. $500 headsets and a mixing board. And it's like, you're one person. Why did you buy all of this? Um but show notes, I think show notes are totally vital um, because for me, it helps keep me kind of on task and organized during the conversation, um, whether it just be talking points or questions you ask your guest or use them as a jumping off point. Um, and then consistency, decide early if your show is going to be weekly, biweekly, pick a schedule and stick with it, because if you're inconsistent, people will figure you're not taking the podcast seriously. So why should they give up their very limited time to, to listen to you for a half hour, an hour or more each week? Yeah. And I think too, that people work it into their routines. Mm -hmm. And so if you fall out of their routine, then they're, you know, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that point about at least have a general idea of what you want to talk about. Like I, with most of my guests, I don't have a questions list. I don't have a list of articles that we're going to discuss. Um, but I, I have an idea of what I would like to talk about. And usually that works out pretty well. Um, but Tanya, I know you put a lot of time into, you know, getting questions prepared and, um, having articles to talk about. And I think that that's, that's another really, really good way to, uh, to to approach it yeah and you know consider the audience you're going for you know like we try to have these conversations that are not the usual conversations in the gaming space you know not just about graphics or oh this game is awesome and everyone should go buy it no i want to have this conversation about why let's say why bayonetta is such a you know pivotal figure for many people yet others hate her um or race theory in a game series that's beloved or you know, like the witcher I've, I've complained slash criticized the witcher quite a bit but i love the game i i absolutely love the game i love witcher 3 quite a bit and have that that next level of conversation and so i think if people want that you know as more people talk about it and more people come and have those conversations in the space they'll go oh you're having those combos i want to have let me check you out yeah and I think as listeners, it's really important for us to step back and realize that just because we just because someone is criticizing something, it doesn't mean that they don't love it. Um, mm. 
which I, I don't know if you get that feedback, but sometimes I get, um, cause I've talked about the princess bride and the princess bride is really problematic for about a half a dozen reasons. And people are like, I can't believe you don't like the princess bride. And it's like, Whoa, you know, that's one <laughs> of my favorite movies, but there are no people of color, no people of color in the movie at all. There are, <laughs> Uh, Buttercup is is my word is useless like she does nothing she literally does nothing she just sits there a lot and like these are problems I still love the movie yeah I mean speaking of the witchers so the the other diversity panel I was on that I didn't put together um I brought up the witcher as an example of a game that fails diversity wise, but does well otherwise, you know, like does other things well, the writing's phenomenal. And this is The Witcher 3. I'm not talking about the first two games. The first two games are trash, in my <laughs> unasked for opinion. Uh, okay, because the second game, you, there's a card game to literally go have sex with people. I'm sorry. Oh, no. yeah, no, that's no. Um, at least like in the third one, if he gets it on with somebody, he goes, hey, I like you or I or I paid for this time. It's not like I won you in a card game. Um, but I digress. I I love The Witcher 3, and I brought this up on this panel. The very first question that was directed to me was, by the way, but actually, CD Projekt Red, blah, 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 about diversity. And I'm like, I had that look on my face of like, really? Mm-hmm. And, and our, our friend Anna Tarkov quoted something I said during the panel, an, another panel, she has someone in her mentions arguing with her about the historical accuracy of The Witcher. It's fiction. I know. That's the sad thing. <laughs> People crack me up. I mean, and, you know, I, I don't want to minimize the impact that, that fiction and games have on our lives. But I am also the opinion at the end of the day, the people that want to continue to argue, especially when something like, you know, The Witcher or Dragon Age or Mass Effect it may all be fantasy or sci-fi or whatever, but someone still brought that fantasy or science fiction world to life mm -hmm. and their biases, unconscious or not, inform the way they created it. And that's why it's so important to have diversity on your teams. Exactly. Boom. We have dropped the mic. We, we just dropped okay. the mic. Mutual mic dropping. Yeah, it's... Um, Nothing is so perfect that it can't be criticized, one. And two, I don't know, I think um, it's important to dissect things and, and see what uh, what went right and what didn't go right and what could have been done better, because that's the only way you improve. Mm -hmm. But, you know, forbid you ever say anything like, well, this game was good, but it's like people act like you want to burn every single mm -hmm. copy of the game. And it's like, it's called critique. Yep. I, st I still have the game. I didn't trade it in. Still play so. it. Yeah, I was actually streaming it earlier. So yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. I can't believe you want better or more, more covering less revealing. There we go. Less revealing armor in World of Warcraft. It's like, yeah, it'd be nice if the, the women in World of Warcraft had less revealing armor. I still want to play it. You know, I'm, I'm not playing it currently, but I, I really about once a week, I'm like, oh, I really wish I could go back to WoW right now. And um, I, I still wish the armor covered him better. It's just how it is. Because my brain just goes to that's that's really impractical. I know. I'm like. 
like how an arrow to the heart, like her heart is not protected. <laughs> She's going to die. And die very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. But then it just proves how superior women are as warriors because despite having lackluster armor, they still managed to survive and kick butt. So I don't know. There you go. <laughs> Well, Tanya, we're getting close to an hour. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Um, no, we talked about diversity fail. <laughs> we talked about critiquing things you love. I, I think we're good for this episode. Okay. Well, it's always a pleasure to have the chance to talk with you. Uh, how can people find you online? Okay, so a, a tiny list, and I'm sure the rest will be in the show notes. It will all, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my personal Twitter is Cypher of Tear, which is C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. And the I Need Diverse Games Twitter is I Need D-I-V-G-M-S. Um, and I'm branded Cypher of Tear pretty much everywhere. So if you find a Cypher of Tear, it should be me. Um, and then I Need Diverse Games of some variant is usually me and our mod team. And um, Patreon, because Patreon is like lifeblood right now. So it's um, patreon.com backslash cipher of tear for my personal one and patreon.com backslash I need DIV games for the I need diverse games Patreon. So because I'm sure that people are wondering, uh, why do you have the two different Patreon accounts? Um, one, the I need diverse games goes back on the community. That's not like anything I dip into for living expenses, you know, and until this week it was strictly... Um, and it still is strictly just for expenses related to I Need Diverse Games. So things like business cards, flyers, um, helping people out with conventions, um, you know, people who support a certain level do get a T-shirt or something. So I fulfill their Patreon rewards out of that money. Um, and then the personal Patreon is literally to keep a roof over my head and you know, like me and the cat and, you know, keep him in kibble. So, okay. Just figured we should clear that up. Um, well, you can find the show on Twitter at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to relay.fm slash LTOE and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it'd be great if you'd leave a review or star rating on iTunes. Uh, barring that or including, go tell a friend and let them know about the show. Tweet about it. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.